0: you open your Bibles now to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're beginning this evening a study of 1 Thessalonians. We'll probably make it about halfway through, and then um, Pastor Wagner will resume or will start a study in the evenings. uh, in about three months from now. I think he's considering uh, the book of Judges, so be in prayer for him. But tonight we begin a study of of the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 3 of the first chapter. hear now the reading of God's Word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God our Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Gospel. We pray, Heavenly Father, you would grant us to be about the work of the Gospel, not only the work that you have done for us through your apostles and prophets, but also the work that you are doing in us and also through us. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This book of 1 uh, Thessalonians is probably um, one of the earliest that is written by the Apostle Paul, probably the only book in the New Testament that is earlier, would be perhaps the book of Galatians. Now, this book is written to a church in the city of Thessalonica, which was founded in the year 315 B.C., before Christ, by a Macedonian king. The years just after Alexander the Great had lost his power, there was a lot of infighting among those who had been generals uh, to make a name for themselves, and one uh, such man was named Cassander, a Macedonian king, and he established this city, uh, Thessalonica, where there was a great naval base. It became a very prosperous city and had a population about the time the Apostle Paul visited there of around 200,000 people. So a large uh, population. Large enough to have a considerable number of Jews there, and therefore uh, there was a Jewish synagogue located there. You might uh, note from the book of Acts that the city of Philippi was a smaller city, and there was no synagogue there uh, because of that not being enough Jews there to constitute one. Today, the city of Thessalonica has a little over a million people in the metropolitan area, or about five times as large as it was when the Apostle Paul first preached the gospel there. He visited the city of Thessalonica, on his second missionary journey, somewhere around the year uh, AD 49 or so, Uh, Paul and Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, all three, uh, gathered together in that place, and there, by the preaching of the gospel, a church was established. Uh, They began preaching the gospel in the synagogue, where the Jews were found, remember the Apostle Paul? Uh, said he would go to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. That was always his pattern. Uh, Whenever he went to a city, he would go to the synagogue first and preach that the man, Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem and who lived and grew up in Nazareth, that very man was the Messiah, the Christ, Christos, the Anointed One, the one prophesied about in the Old Testament prophecies. That very man was the Messiah. He preached to the Jews that their Messiah had come. And so he did that in the city of Thessalonica as well for a couple of weeks until they threw him out, which always seemed to be the case. Um, After a couple of weeks or so, he would get kicked out of the synagogue and then go elsewhere in the city and continue to preach and to preach to the Gentiles as well. On this occasion... After some time preaching there, and some people being converted and forced to leave, he went on to uh, another place, Berea, and then on to the city of Athens, and then eventually on to the city of Corinth, still preaching the gospel. But he was still concerned about what happened in the city of Thessalonica. Sometimes we get the idea as we read the gospels, or we read... Uh, the book of Acts in sort of a cursory fashion that the Apostle Paul did evangelism like people throw hand grenades. You just throw them out there, they blow up, create damage, you just keep moving. You don't stand around to find out what happened. But that wasn't the case with the Apostle Paul. Either he planted a church himself or he was concerned to make sure that a church was organized so God's people were cared for. So he sends Timothy back to the city of Thessalonica to find out what was going on. In fact, in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul expresses his concern this way, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Timothy brings a report and tells him about how things are going in the church there. And then the Apostle Paul sits down from Corinth and writes this letter as a pastor concerned about the life of this newborn church. And it's interesting to me that in these opening words, uh, these introductory words in this uh, first letter, Uh, to the church in uh, Thessalonica, there is a theme of work and labor. He speaks of the work of faith, the labor of love, steadfastness of hope. When I was in college, involved in a campus ministry, it was very easy to get hooked on the conference fix. We had one about every three months, it seemed like. We had one in Christmas, and then one in the uh, spring, and then another. Then summertime, you had a whole bunch of things. Then the fall, another one, then again Christmas. So you get hooked on the conference fix and um, neglect the reality of the ongoing day-by-day work of the Christian faith, or sometimes so focused upon your own personal Concerns that you neglect to participate in and embrace the broader work of the gospel through the ordinary means of just no-name local churches that work in not extraordinary ways and not flashy ways. No one knows who they are, but just faithfully. Day by day, week by week, year by year. So I want to note just for a moment these opening verses of 1 Thessalonians about the work of the gospel or the labor of this church. First, uh, we note the labor of the Apostle Paul in the establishment of the church was Paul and also Silvanus or Silas and Timothy who traveled on this second missionary journey to the city of Thessalonians in order to start this church. And it was a labor that began with the preaching of the word in the establishment of the church and a labor that sustained that church in a ministry of prayer. So it was preaching and prayer. First he labored to establish the church by the ministry of preaching. Now, how did the Apostle Paul end up in the city of Thessalonica? He didn't plan to go there. Uh, In fact, we know that from Acts 16, verse 9, the Apostle Paul was planning to go further south, to the southwestern portion of what is now Turkey or then Asia Minor. That's where he wanted to go. But you may recall, we are told in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit prevented him. We don't know exactly how he did that. Was it in some mysterious way or was it by some circumstance? We don't know. But the Holy Spirit prevented him, and then he had a dream, and in the dream he had a vision. And in the vision there was a Macedonian man, a man from the upper regions of, the, of, of Greece just before you enter into what we would call modern Europe, a man in a vision calling out to him saying, come over and help us. And so the Apostle Paul diverted his travel from where he had wanted to go and traveled more toward the northwest until he came to the city of Philippi. And there he began uh, to look for a place to preach the gospel, but no synagogue was there. And so he heard about a gathering of women who met by the river for prayer. So he went down there and preached the gospel there to those women. lo and behold, one of them, a woman named Lydia, uh, was converted. God was pleased, we are told. The Lord opened her heart uh, to hear the things spoken by the Apostle Paul, and she embraced Christ as her Savior and became a Christian. That's what we look for as we talk to people about the Gospel. We look for God to open people's hearts. If He doesn't open their heart, uh, they will not believe, but by the Holy Spirit, if He opens their hearts, they'll embrace Christ as their Savior. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to open people's hearts. That's the first convert Uh, in the city of Philippi. Then a servant girl who had been possessed by a demon, that was his second convert, and then, having been arrested because of that and put in jail, uh, and then miraculously rescued from that, the third convert was the jailer himself. So the Apostle Paul started a church in the city of Philippi with a, a single woman, a crazy lady, and a jailer i often wondered if we were to present that as a, uh, an opportunity for a church planter to come, how many applications we would receive. But a church was planted in Philippi. Then he moved on to the city of Thessalonica to preach the gospel in the synagogue there. And we read of that in Acts 17, verses 1 through 4. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis, In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So, the labor of the Apostle Paul was to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news about Jesus, and to explain to these Jews from the scriptures, that would be the Old Testament, that this man named Jesus, of whom they probably had heard, is the Christ, the Messiah. Verse 4 says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Though the gospel was proclaimed, the Holy Spirit opened hearts just as he had in Philippi. And Jews embraced Christ Jesus as their Messiah, and also God-fearing Greeks, Greeks who had been influenced by the Hebrew faith, and then also a number of leading women. So a church is being established in the city of Thessalonica by the work of preaching, This is how the kingdom of God grows. This is how it has grown from the first days in Jerusalem, when Peter stood up and preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were converted, and then 5,000, and then also from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria as the gospel was carried out into those regions. And then by the Apostle Paul to the uttermost parts of the earth was always by the work of preaching, the proclamation of this gospel. We really have a description somewhat of what you might call expository preaching here in verse 3. Reasoned with them from the scriptures. That's what preaching is. Reasoning from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, how would he do that from the Old Testament scriptures? I used to wonder that when I was first reading the New Testament. And I would think, how could anybody preach the gospel from the Old Testament? Now I think it would be easy. You know where I'd start? The book of Leviticus. That's where i start. I said, really, Leviticus? Yes, Leviticus. The gospel's all over Leviticus. Every one of those sacrifices is pointing to Christ. And you could lay that out before a, uh, a Jewish person who believed the scriptures. And you could explain and give evidence that the Christ had to suffer, rise again from the dead, and then show that Jesus, the man born in Bethlehem, lived, grew up in Nazareth, that very same man is the Christ. And by the preaching of that gospel, laying out the evidence from the scriptures, people are converted, and the church is established in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're baptized according to the Great Commission. That's part two of the Great Commission. Disciple the nations, baptize them, teach them to observe all things that I commanded. They're baptized and added into the visible church under the authority of Christ. That's the work of the gospel. And it is Not without hardship and opposition on many occasions. Note verses 5 through 10 of Acts 17. Uh, But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to people. When they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them, and then verse 10 says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. It started all over again. We want the church to grow. Then we need men who will answer the call to gospel ministry, who will play, pledge themselves to labor to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to take the scriptures and open them up and explain them and reason from the scriptures, persuading men about the person and work of Jesus. There are many other things you can do. In addition to that, But you cannot do anything until you've done that. That's how the church grows. The preaching of the gospel. We need to pray that God would give us many preachers to proclaim the gospel. Now the labor of the Apostle Paul was not just proclamation. It was also prayer. It was by proclamation that the gospel came and the church was established, but it's by prayer that that effort is sustained and that that effort is effective. And so the Apostle Paul immediately says to these believers, gathering the church grace to you and peace, we give thanks to God always for all you making mention of you in our prayers. The church is established by the labor of preaching, but not by mere preaching, It is established by preaching, but it is sustained by preaching undergirded with prayer. It is not sterile preaching that is simply the dispensing of information. As though one were giving a lecture on some subject, it is preaching that is undergirded with prayer that the Holy Spirit would take the Word of God and powerfully apply it to the souls of men. And then changed them. So Paul and Silas and Timothy were constantly in prayer for the church in Thessalonica. They may have left that place physically, but they were still engaged with them spiritually. And what was the substance of their prayers? that they would experience the grace of God and the peace of God in abundance. When you read this phrase, grace and peace, it's not just a nicety, uh, um, some sort of greeting of some sort or another or a wish of some sort. It is the substance of their prayer. First grace, that they would experience a continued and growing measure of God's unmerited favor and blessing in the knowledge of Christ. That should be our prayer, that we grow in grace. And then peace, a continued growing experience of the settled conviction that all is well with my soul. Resulting from the experience of the grace of God in Jesus. That should be my prayer for you. Grace and peace. Knowing that your sins are removed and the sentence of God's wrath is lifted. The Apostle Paul in Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul labored to preach and to pray and his prayers always included thanksgiving. When? Always he was giving thanks. For all of you. And he says, making mention of you in my prayers. I wonder if that means that he prayed for them by name. In other words, something more than, Lord bless the Thessalonians. But praying for particular people. So here's the work of the apostle. He labored to preach and also to pray. Second, we note the labor of the church itself. Verse 3, he says, Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Note the Apostle Paul was not laboring alone. He had two co-workers with him, Silas and also Timothy, uh, who were with him. And then the church, being established, began to join in the labor of the gospel with them. And here are the particular items which the Apostle Paul gives thanks for. Uh, The church in Thessalonica was a working and growing church. He notes their work of faith. This church joined in the labor of the gospel. Who knows what churches were planted out from Thessalonica into the surrounding region. The gospel spread out all over that place. Work that proceeded from their faith in Christ, works that evidenced the genuine nature of their faith, works that resulted from trusting in Christ venturing to do something for the sake of the gospel, and trusting Christ to use them. It was a living and a working faith. And then he mentions their labor of love. The word for labor means toil, exertion, labor motivated by a genuine love for Christ and his people, the love of God working in us and also through us exerting themselves for the kingdom of Christ and willing to experience hardship for the sake of manifesting the love of God, the mercy of God, their labor of love, labor that voluntarily flows out of a heart that has experienced the love of God in Christ, not constrained, not manipulated, not reluctant, but flowing out of a heart transformed by the love of God. And then he notes thirdly their endurance, endurance of hope, staying power. The word literally means to remain under, to stay in the yoke, to keep laboring day after day, week by week, year by year, motivated by the great hope of the gospel that all we do counts for the coming of Christ's kingdom, something that is lasting and eternal, sticking with the program, laboring until Christ returns himself in glory. This perseverance in the gospel, in your personal walk with Christ, in the ongoing work of the building of the church, Jesus is at work. He will not abandon his work in you, and so neither do you. And Jesus is at work building his church, and he will not quit building his church, and so neither neither do we. And so year by year, we continue to plug along, expand, keep before us a vision of an expanding ministry. What can we do better than what we did the year before. What can we do different than we did the year before? How can we labor for the growing of God's kingdom here and around the world? We don't abandon the ship. We labor and we endure. We don't give up. Not one year, not two years, not three years, not 30 years, not 40 years, but as long as Christ tarries, we labor. Enduring. This is our work, this is your work, the work of the gospel, the work of the redeeming grace of our Savior. What more noble work could there be? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of the Apostle Paul, the establishment of this church, and also these many, many years removed the establishment of this local church of Trinity Church. Thank you for the power of the preaching of the gospel that changes our hearts and brings us into a saving relationship with Jesus. We pray now, Heavenly Father, that you would nourish our souls and feed us and sustain us by this holy sacrament, that we might do the work of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.